friends, and welcome to There's No People Like Show People, the podcast that connects and reconnects the theater community, inspires hope, and strives to help people not feel so alone. I am your host, Sarah Philibon. I just want to take this moment to say thank you so much for... <laughs> downloading subscribe my my next guest is already chuckling at me <laughs> she's giving you a nice little giggle but no like seriously i um you know we just thank you so much for following along on the there's no people like show people journey uh, I started this podcast for so many reasons, but one of the biggest reasons was to help people to not feel so alone to give people you know, some hope in the time that we live in and to attempt to reconnect the, I feel like, the disconnected theater community right now. So with that being said, without further ado, I ha- I am very excited about, about <laughs> our next guest on the podcast. I, I was just thinking about how to introduce you and there are just I mean what the list go is so long about I mean like her resume she does so many things I could introduce her as an actress or a musician or a costume designer a seamstress uh, a dog mom oh no <laughs> um, a, quil- a quilter yeah uh, she did I know I'm like forgetting she made me breakfast this morning <laughs> An excellent chef. Oh, um, no. There's so many things, and and I'm so glad that I have your little official name tag here. Yes. We are sitting in her office at the very beautiful and historic Goshen Theater, which is in downtown Goshen, Indiana. Welcome, Miss Managing Director, Amber Burgess. Thank you, Sarah. It is an honor to be here. <laughs> I was wondering, like, TikTok, when are you going to get to Amber? You've done so many of these episodes. I was feeling a little left out. So. I'm so sorry. I mean, I will work on forgiving you, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. No, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, well, thank you. Um, how are you today? Um, I'm doing really well. I spent some really quality time with a good friend of mine who I haven't seen in a while this morning, so that was nice. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Uh, I, that was you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I also got to show you around my beautiful building, and uh, I take a lot of pride in my work and in the Goshen Theater, and I always love showing her to theater people especially. So it was uh, it was fun and an honor to show you around. Thank you. Yeah. Well, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do here at the theater. Sure. So I'm the managing director of the Goshen Theater. We are a nonprofit organization. Um, the primary part of our mission uh, for a number of years has been to restore and revitalize this downtown landmark. Um, when Goshen Theater Incorporated took over ownership of the Goshen Theater, I was in a little bit of disrepair and there had been some neglect in a couple of areas and uh, we were able to raise $5.2 million to help restore uh, the theater. We still have a little bit of work to do, so we'll probably have another phase of stuff that's probably things that are relevant to your listeners, like new dressing rooms and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, we've put in uh, new lighting and sound equipment. We've repainted, knocked out walls, put in new bathrooms, uh, removed the asbestos just for fun. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that project has been about 18 months of time and uh we're now all dressed up with no place to go because of covid so 
I know. I actually was I was listening to I listen to a, uh, usually a podcast a day. Sure. Um, usually when I'm driving or if I'm exercising or if the baby is taking a nap and I've got a few minutes to myself, I'm always listening to somebody else talking because <laughs> I think it's like going to a free masterclass. Yeah. Or, or going to a free workshop. And um, it was a a woman. She called the, and I thought it was so funny. She called the pandemic. She called it a damn demic. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah, yeah. She said, because we're in the middle of this damn demic right now. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's where we, wherever you are, how, how you are um, surviving, really, you know, whether you're in a pandemic or a damn-demic, we're, we're, <laughs> we're all in this together. Yeah. Um, Amber, where are you from? Where did you, I mean, I know this, but, wait, but <laughs> where, where did you grow up and how did you get into theater? Uh, I grew up in Jamestown, North Dakota. In the middle of nowhere, my uh, hometown's claim to fame is a giant concrete buffalo that's on the outskirts of town that you can see from the highway. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever driven along 94 and seen a big brown concrete buffalo on the side of the highway, that's Jamestown, that great big buffalo town. (laughs) There's a whole song. That goes with it. Would you like to hear the song? I would song? love to hear the song. Uh, it goes like this. We are from Jamestown, that great big buffalo town, right in the middle of the USA, between the New York Harbor and the San Francisco Bay, where the beautiful east meets the wonderful west. It's the grandest town we know, because we're so proud of it, because we're so proud of it. Jamestown, our hometown. Yay! <laughs> That's for all you Jamestownians. Who are listening right now to this, to this podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Uh, so that's where I grew up. There were not a lot of theatrical opportunities um, in my hometown. So I took every performance opportunity that I could once I kind of got bitten by the bug. Uh, so I was doing things at our art center. There were summer educational theater stuff. I was doing every school play I could. And I was doing a lot of other stuff like uh, choir or beauty pageants or whatever. Like, Oh yes, yeah. when I was introducing you, I forgot to say the pageant queen. <laughs> That should have been in the, in the introduction. Yeah, that's my uh, ridiculous hobby, which is a whole other podcast. Um, that'd be like a, my ridiculous hobby. It could be like a secondary podcast to this podcast. Yeah. Just theater See? people's hobbies. I feel like just within the last 12, 24, however many hours, we've been coming up with so many like, great ideas. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Oh, we just need funding. So if you'd like to donate. Please do. <laughs> click the link in our bio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I... Uh, because I love performing in music and theater so much, I was just doing all of it that I could and uh, eventually uh, ended up majoring in it in college, um, transferred to Millican University my junior year, uh, really learned a lot at Millican and then moved to Cincinnati, did theater in Cincinnati for a while. And uh, sort of in the intro, you talked about this, but what I really loved is being in the building. So I was doing everything that I could as a young professional to just be in the theater. So I was working in the box office. I was uh, working in like marketing, writing press releases. I was doing costumes. I was playing in pit orchestras. I was assistant directing, uh, understudying and doing shows like anything that I could do. I was doing it and I very badly didn't want to have a non-arts day job. So I was teaching violin lessons and piano lessons and voice lessons. I was making costumes and uh, occasionally I would work at a coffee shop. That was my one non-arts job that I was doing. But my days were 14 hours long and I was just doing the arts (laughs) all day, every day. Uh, which I think a lot of people can relate to that um, from that arts perspective, just like wanting to do it. So you do it. Yeah. Um, And then I guess when I got into my later 20s and my 30s, 
um, I had more of an interest in directing and producing and doing those sorts of um, like facilitating, like lifting up other performers a little more than just being the center or being the person on stage. Uh, So I started doing that more, uh, produced a production in Chicago, which was fun. And then uh, eventually came back down here to Napanee and was doing at the Round Barn Theater, was costuming and was in like the core company there and eventually became artistic director there, which at that point I was doing just like the art side of theater, but I really did have this pull to really be more of a support to other people's arts. So I had this like feeling I wanted to do more nonprofit work and more work in arts administrations and this job sort of like (laughs) I saw the listing and I applied never thought I'd get it and now I'm here and I'm able to provide a space provide support and uh, really help to be like a person that is facilitating community arts in Goshen so uh, yeah that's sort of like the journey from here but yeah I started started by like doing a little tiny show in the art center in uh, Jamestown North Dakota and it occurred to me a couple weeks ago that there was a person at that venue who had this job that I have now. Oh. And that person, who was like the managing director of the local art center in my hometown, mm-hmm. that person decided that they were going to put on a musical, that they were going to do theater for young people. And because of that, I did my first audition. Because of that, I did my first show. Right. That's the first step of the journey that led me to this place. So I feel like the best way to pay that back is to also be the person that facilitates that first step for other young people. Mm-hmm. So it's the grand circle it's, of it, life. It all comes full circle. <laughs> it does. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Oh, that's such a, a, thank you. Yeah. A beautiful and inspiring story. And we met, I, yeah. I believe this was 2012. Mm-hmm. Yes. At, yeah. At the Rambarn theater. And I, you came in to uh, direct and choreograph Sisters of Swing. Yes. And uh, I was the female swing. <laughs> for <laughs> for that. Sisters of Swing. Yeah, for that production, which was a little terrifying. Um, it's because it's the Andrews Sisters, if you guys don't know the show. Some of the most challenging women's vocal music of the 20th century. <laughs> Tight three-part harmonies. And Sarah had to learn all three parts. Yeah. And to be, you know, and, and, and Travis... Smith and I, we talked about this also on his podcast episode, but because Travis was the music director and he was also in the show as the piano player and... And he was like, you know, joking around. He's like, and Sarah, she really knew all three harmony parts. <laughs> I was like, mm, I think I definitely knew the soprano. I, yep. I knew the top. Yep. And I knew the bottom. But the middle? Ooh, <laughs> that the, part's so hard. Yeah, the middle was a little questionable. So uh, thank goodness I never had to go on. Yep. So I, but I went to every single rehearsal mm-hmm. and I saw the show at least once a week. And yeah, you knew all was, the dances better knew- than the actual cast. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you. I think I was also the dance captain. You were the dance captain. Yeah, the dance captain for it. And and I'm just so thankful that uh, that I never had to go on because I would have been terrified. So, but you know what? I would have done it and it would have been fine, but I would have been nervous. In my directing career, that show is a highlight. And uh, Mm -hmm. initially I thought it was not going to be based on the script, but we really came up with a good concept for it, I think. Yeah. And uh, and people loved it. Oh, yeah. Loved it. I found it. Like watching the performances, watching the performers as a director, sometimes you get desensitized 
mm-hmm. and you go, oh, well, you know, uh, uh, that that moment needs work. There were so many moments where I was able, because we had such gifted people in the show, I was able yeah. to just watch it and be entertained by it. So yeah. I'm glad people found it as captivating as I did. <laughs> I, yeah, people loved it. And then from there, uh, 2013, we did 9 to 5 mm-hmm. together. Yep. You directed that show and choreographed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think what else. We've done a lot of stuff. We, we were in Wizard of Oz together. That was the end of that year. And I costume yeah. designed the Arsenic and Old Lace uh-huh. production and then Wizard of Oz. Then that next year was... Then you directed Wonderettes. I was in that. Yes, Marvelous Wonderettes. And oh my goodness. And, it's been, yeah. and Little Women was that year, wasn't it? I think it? so. In the fall, yeah. Oh my goodness! It's it's hard to remember. It is. There's a it's, lot. There's a lot. <laughs> like over the years, there's just like a lot of stuff we've done together. But I I know like we were in the dressing room together uh, for Wizard of Oz. Yes, I remember that, and because that was sort of like a tough time for it like was. personally that I was going through and. That was rough. Um, yeah. And that was also like the winter that it decided to snow. Like a f- there was always a foot of snow on the crazy. On, on like the we ground. couldn't open the stage door because it would drift up on the stage it, door it was, in the time that the show had happened. It was like, so cold. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> oh, and Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah, we yes. The we we were in the... Fiddler on the Roof together. Yeah, just so, that might have been, I think that was the last the one. last show, I And that was four years ago that we mm-hmm. did together. Yeah. Wow. It's been too long. <laughs> so what's the next show that we're going to do together is, uh, is my you question. Pick, you pick. Okay. Whatever you want. And uh, I'll write a grant. We'll get some financing. And uh, and we'll just, and we'll do it. Yeah. If you guys would like to submit for this mystery production that we don't know what it is yet. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know who we need for it. We, exactly. We have no idea what the show is. Link in bio. <laughs> <laughs> I just keep saying Lincoln bio. It's so funny. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you kind of already started to talk about this a little bit um, when you were sort of talking about the full circle oh, moment yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and about being a kid and being in theater and wanting to do so many different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, what sort of advice would you give to kids wanting to go into the arts or mm-hmm. wanting to do this professionally or maybe maybe not even professionally, but just wanting to do theater? What advice would you give to them? Oh, that's such a tough question. I think every kid is different. And I can give advice from the perspective of um, what I needed to hear when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do think, you know, as I get older, I do see some symptoms. We were talking about this earlier today. Um, I do see some holes in the, like, education system. I think that it's super important for anyone who wants to be a performer to try to do the other things in the in like the theater world um because so many people do not really understand what goes into doing a show even when they do shows yeah like they don't understand what commitment a producer has put into a show what kind of work a director has put into a show like how hard it is to be a casting director how hard it is to run a venue like all of these people are putting their trust and their work and their heart and their dreams on the line so that performers can perform. Mm -hmm. And it is so important um, to find the right performers and to like have the right cast and for those performers to have the proper attitude and for those things, like all of that needs to come together to create the magic that we create. And uh, I think I would probably say do other stuff in the building if you can like mm-hmm. try other things and also be thankful like thank everybody like genuinely thank everybody that's working on the show with you yeah like 
you know, all the stagehands, all the costumers, the lighting designers, the people who are mopping up afterwards, the janitor who's cleaning the lobby bathroom, like all of those people are an intrinsic part of the experience of your audience and your audience is the reason you're there. So yeah, like I would say, yeah, be thankful for the other people on your team. Yeah. Well, because, because it's a lot of people, <laughs> oh my you gosh. know, like, like, yeah, yeah. You, and sometimes I, I think you tend to get like tunnel vision mm-hmm. and you think, oh, it's just like me and my cast and, right? and that's it. Oh, and my crew. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The people I see every day. Right. But, These are the people in your neighborhood. <laughs> right. But then there's like 50 other people who right. are doing a million other things to make sure that you have not only the best possible show that you can have, yeah. but the best possible experience that, that you can have. I worked on a show in Chicago that I never worked on. <laughs> I was helping write a grant for a theatrical organization that I was working with. They got that grant through my work, and that money went to pay for the show that they were doing, and the people in that show never met me. They have no idea that I even existed or who I was. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I got to be a part of it, but, like, think about how crazy that is. There's probably people you're completely unaware of who Mm -hmm. have done things to support this, and you'll never know them. Right. And they are part of the magic that is what you get to do every day. The part of the magic that is theater. Yes. yes so yes. and so right and so it's like cultivating a strong sense of gratitude is really important. Agreed. And and I think you know and that gratitude extends further than you think it does. Oh yeah, way past the footlights, <laughs> onto the street, into the town. Yeah. In, well, into the patrons <laughs> and the who, community and, and the community who yeah. helps pay for your paycheck. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, theater goer. <laughs> Thank a theater go. <laughs> yeah. What are you, so you obviously, you've seen so many different sides of this business. Oh, yeah. I mean, so many different. You've been on, you know, even if there was a table and there were like 10 sides of it, you've been on, you, <laughs> you've been on every single oh, yeah. different side. This is like right here. These are the fire capacities for the different venues in my building. <laughs> I've done that and I've stood center stage singing a high C. Like it's, yep. I've done all of it. Yeah. So I'm sure, like, what have you struggled with when it comes to this career? Oh, uh, I think that, oh gosh, see, this is the thing. I When you talk about things like from a task-based perspective, I think a lot of things are just learning. Mm-hmm. So if you do research and you like attack a thing like, oh, I don't know how to make sure our entity report is up to date. You can research that and find out how to do it and do it, right? Mm-hmm. As long as you're a little bit autodidactic, that's your $10 word for the day, <laughs> uh, like a self-learner, you can learn yeah. those things. I think my biggest challenge, and it's been in every single aspect, is to believe in my own mind that I can do it. Mm-hmm. So Anytime I've tried something new, (laughs) there's this thing called imposter syndrome where you have this like belief in your head that you are an imposter, that like, oh, these people are all going to find out that I am just faking it. Like, oh, I got got cast in this show and uh, the director likes me and everything is fine, but everybody is going to find out that I am not the most talented person here or... Oh, I got I got asked to direct this show, and yes, I've got all my notes, and it's all blocked, and everybody looks really good, and I'm giving notes, and I know what I need, but they're going to find out that <laughs> I am not good at this, you know? So yeah. every time I've tried to tackle something new, I have had a little bit of that, like, disbelief that I would actually be able to do it. So I kind of have to coach myself through that mentally. I have to like journal about it or like get myself into a headspace where I go, no, you know what? Someone has done this before, which means it's possible. 
I'm someone. Someone has done it. Therefore, I can do it. So I I have to, I don't naturally overcome those things. I have to actually like try to overcome that insecurity. Um, And it's not a side of myself that I necessarily like share or show very often, but that's probably been the thing. But once I get past it, I do have the ability to jump in with both feet and just do it. Yeah. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that ability to follow through. But yeah, just believing that I can. Right. Has been my biggest challenge. Oh, me too. Like for oh, yeah. sure. Oh, like, yeah. Hands down. I, uh, and I, I feel like I talk really openly about this because I, I definitely want to help, especially younger people yes. sort of who are also struggling with something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest person who was standing in the way of success was myself. Of course. Always. And the biggest thing that I really struggled with was self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Was being like, oh, I'm not good enough for that. Or I can't do that. Or whatever. Or, or you know, as a, and it's different. Like, you're right, different sides of the business. Sure. But as, as a woman in theater, mm-hmm. which we, yes. that, that's my next topic <laughs> coming <laughs> no, up here. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And, and, well, and also as, you know, talking about not only being like an actress or a woman in theater, but female leadership. Sure. Um, but you know, usually when I was auditioning for something, I'm like, oh, well, I'm too fat to, <laughs> to, to play that part or, you know what I mean? It was, it was sure. always that for me. I'm like, I'm not even going to audition or I'm not, they're not going to consider me for this because I don't look a certain way. Right. But ultimately should let them make those decisions. Right. <laughs> don't make them for them. Right. Be- yeah. Right, because, yeah. No, right. I, that's totally me too. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. 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 So I think, yeah, let's, let's talk about, because I, I just, I mean, statistically mm-hmm. speaking, it is because just looking at numbers, it is more difficult to be a woman in theater than yeah. it is to be a man in theater. Oh, I mean, <laughs> take a look at the statistics on this, how many women there are in the acting pool. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. It's like 75%. And I don't know what the equity numbers are right now. Yeah. I'm, they're generally more equal. Mm-hmm. Um, than the non-equity numbers, but it's a crazy number of women, and especially young women. Yeah. So it's an oversaturated market of women. Now go up one level, and look at technicians. Yeah. How many female technicians are there? Right. Very few. Yeah. Now, now go up on that ladder. Go up one more rung. How many female directors are there? Yeah. Boom. And then above that, how many women in arts leadership are there? Right. So what we're talking about is a pool, ultimately. That is majority women. And somehow from that majority women base, as you go up the ladder into leadership, it's fewer and fewer women the higher you climb. Yeah. And that's a problem. That's a major problem, (laughs) I think. Yeah. Uh, Mike Fielder, who I adore, and I think I told this story on our table talk the other day, he pointed out to me when we were at MWTA, there was a moment when we were at the dance call And everybody on the stage side, almost everyone was female. And then on the other side of the room, it was three rows of chairs and it was all men and me. Wow. Yeah. In that moment. And it wasn't like it was only like, that's not what the whole conference looked like. Yeah. But in that moment, that's what that room looked like. And it's, it's hard. (laughs) It's hard to go. Oh, huh. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Well, and like, okay. So you know how you. I'm just thinking about like the movies that you watched that mm-hmm. happened like back in the day. Like you right. watch you watch a movie and and it the it takes whatever the story is it takes place in 1940, 1950, 1960. Sure. And you see a whole room of usually white 
men right and you see like the one woman mm-hmm. or the one person of color or you know what I mean like right. walk into a room and it's an awkward situation or whatever okay so that was what 50 60 70 years ago right and the story that you just described mm-hmm. in what a couple of years ago yeah was the same, the situation. same situation like yeah. what is that about this is, it's interesting that you bring up people of color, and this is not my story, obviously, but we did a table talk with some artists of color on uh, the Goshen Theater Drama Club table talks, and this one was on my own personal um, YouTube channel, uh, but we had some artists of color, and there was a gentleman who had been offered the role of Judd in mm-hmm. Oklahoma with a very prestigious theater company in a very prestigious situation for a great deal of money, and he said that he needed their assurance that they would cast another person of color as either Curly or Lori. Yeah. Because he didn't want to play out some trope. And I thought about how much courage that takes. Absolutely. And like what what it did for me is it shine it's shown a light for me on like the times when I have not really advocated for myself or advocated for what was socially the best mm-hmm. situation. Because, you know, yeah. when we talk about type, when we talk about mm-hmm. like these narratives, these are old stories and type doesn't exist in real life. Right. Is it's like type is a shortened version of stereotype. Yeah. So whatever your type is, okay, these are the prejudgments that people make about you based on your appearance. Mm-hmm. That is socially acceptable in theater? <laughs> it should not be. <laughs> exactly. It should so, not be. Yeah, so how do I yeah. how do I become part of the solution to that problem? And this is yeah. like this is one of those things that keeps me up at night. This is one of the issues mm-hmm. with our business that like I try and I'm working on like ways to address these problems. Yeah. Um but yeah, the the type issue is one of those things that I think is detrimental to women and how women are treated in this business. A hundred percent. And not just about body type, but about what we're asked to do in the narratives that we're asked to participate in. Yeah. Because think about the last show that you watched where the ultimate goal of a woman in the show was to be the editor of a newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Or, <laughs> you know. We're laughing because, because it's, it's sad but true. Right. It's the race to the white dress. Oh my God, you're so right. Yes, and yeah. who cares about that? Right, whatever. Like it just shouldn't. You're right. It just yeah. shouldn't be, like, however, seventy or eighty or ninety percent of a female-driven story shouldn't be about that. And that's why I know we were talking about Little Women a lot. Yeah. Yep. And like Joe March is not like that, and she follows her dreams and her Ugh, career. It's and... problematic, though. That show is so problematic. I know. I know. I know. <laughs> the well, problem with Little Women is. Yeah. Uh, the second book of Little Women is actually called Good Wives. The Louisa May Alcott second volume is called Good Wives because she did not believe in the potential of her readers. She thought yeah. that they all should just get married. So she knew that the way she could inspire them to do so is to marry off all of her characters. So <laughs> Joe March finds ultimate happiness only when she, she accepts the right. literal protection of a man. Yeah. Boo. 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 <laughs> uh, hashtag rewrite. <laughs> yeah. Lincoln bio. Yeah, Lincoln, Lincoln Bio. <laughs> re- so currently we are rewriting, uh, or we, we are writing a new book. Um, it's a retelling. It's a retelling. Actually, this is a great idea. It is a great idea, this actually. This is a great idea, Amber Burgess. What like, if it was like an annotated by feminists version of Little Women, where like... Uh, where none of them got married. Right. Like Gloria Steinem is the narrator. And she goes, she's like, wait, 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 wait. Hold up. And then she just like rearranges things. And the characters are like, but... Uh. <laughs> I, I think we have something here. I think, and 
I and you know what? I think we should um, premiere it <laughs> at the at Goshen the Theater. Done. Done. Boom. So please come see our new adaptation <laughs> of a feminist little women. Big women. <laughs> Big women. That's great. Oh my god. A modern day retelling of a classic tale. <laughs> See, I'm telling you, there is truly, there is, uh, there is magic and power in in the podcast. (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) And you really discover things. Oh Oh my my goodness. Um, I think we have already talked about 25 different subjects, but. I know, I'm so sorry. No, 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 this is good. Like, I want it to be genuine, and I I mean, (laughs) this is like, we're talking, this is real life here. Yes, big women. (laughs) (laughs) Big women, real life. Um. I know we've kind of already touched on some things that are not okay. Oh yeah, you know, with within the theater world and also within the world at large. But what? How would you like to see the theater world change? And as we eventually start to come out of this pandemic, what? Because I I know you uh, are a facilitator of change, mm-hmm. and so you are working very hard to make sure that the you know you're doing whatever you can to help facilitate change. Yeah. We're trying to remove cost barriers, really, for artists and for children, young people who want to be in the arts. So um, I feel like some of the big things that need to change in our business, and this is like big picture stuff, uh, I think producers are gun-shy right now to produce anything that reflects real life. I think producer, mm-hmm. producers are gun-shy to produce anything that doesn't have immediate name recognition. Yeah. So there's been so much adaptation. And I love a good adaptation. Love a good adaptation. But uh, I feel like there's so much room for so much more creativity. And uh, Broadway, when it started back in the early 20th century and as it sort of became what it was going to be in the 1930s and 40s, um, people weren't writing epic stories that required, uh, like, uh, you to have one song where you're in a parking garage and an office and a car and right. then a bedroom and, like, all of these different scene changes. Like, the stories were simpler and more people were buying tickets. Mm-hmm. And I do wonder if we have wandered too far into the costly, like, epic sort of story where we're adapting familiar stories in a new way just to make them like crazier and bigger like a a Christmas story the musical I think is a really good example of this where that's an extremely intimate story where people have a very personal relationship with that movie Mm -hmm. they've taken that and that nostalgia factor and then they have cranked up the spectacle on it. So you've yeah. got a leg lamp kick line. <laughs> you've got, yeah. like, the whole, like, Red Rider Carbine Action BB gun chorus number mm-hmm. with full-on, like, production values. and Yeah. And as fun as those things are and as fun as it is to play with that nostalgia, do people have a better connection to that story because of that musical? Like, Mm -hmm. are they having a better experience of it because it's fire effects and like all of these additional things? Like, does the spectacle actually improve the storytelling or is it just entertaining? And entertainment is as valuable Mm -hmm. (laughs) as art. Like those two things are both really important, particularly in fostering empathy. But I feel like if I like, 
if we could have like any dizzy daydream in the theater, it would be that we move away from those things a little bit more and that producers might be more trusting of writers and artists so that we could get more stories with contemporary value told that would foster and create empathy for people today instead of just hitting the nostalgia button. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, theater is, is like one of the oldest yes. art, art forms. It's yeah. It's been around for forever, you know, as mm-hmm. far as I know. I mean, theater can be so many... What is theater? Theater can be so many different things. It can be you getting up and telling a story in your yeah. living room to your family. Sure. <laughs> or it can be this, what you just said, a, a crazy spectacle, yeah. you know, Broadway show. Both That's are, awesome. Yeah. Both are theater. Mm-hmm. Both are valid. Yeah. And both are recognized by people for the last 2,000 years. Like, yeah. we know what that is. Right. Yeah. We're like, that's a theater production. <laughs> sure. <laughs> right but, there. Yeah, yeah, for people to see the value in something that's a little bit less crazy. Like, look at cats. <laughs> look at cats. I hate cats with a fiery passion. <laughs> but that's a very simple show that rests on one idea. And that idea is amazing dance. Yeah. With a very odd but concrete concept. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell, like, people love cats. Yeah. And I am I am actually, I didn't love cats until I did the show. Yeah. Um, because it was just fun. Mm-hmm. And, and what's cool about cats is that it's, it's how it is traditionally done. It's a unit set. Yep. It's literally a freaking junkyard. Like, yep. it's just a bunch of trash. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, laying around a junkyard. You have one costume. Yeah. It's pretty, you put on your unitard, you put on your crazy cat makeup, (laughs) and you just go dance around a bunch of trash for for like two hours, and people love it. Yeah. Or like Chorus Line. Yeah. Chorus Line, a bunch of really great numbers where it's just a bunch of dancers in their rehearsal clothes. It's not like, except for those tuxedos at the end, but like. Right. Still. In in a leotard. Right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. An empty stage. Uh, Those, I will say those are some of my favorite kinds of shows. Me too. When, when they are more minimalistic mm-hmm. and they are much more realistic. Yes. So you find more uh, realism because I think it's more relatable. Well, you're fostering empathy. It's not about feeling the dazzled feeling of beautiful glitter. Like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> look at those lights. <laughs> right. It's like, wow, look at that experience. And I yeah. think, I don't know, I find more value in that than spectacle. But I like spectacle too. Oh, yeah. So. I mean, right. You, when you watch something, you know, when I'm trying, like, in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. When, oh, like, the when, car when the flies. the car flies. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Or, like, stuff like that. That is, spec- or, like, Beauty and the Beast. You yes, know, that's the transformation. Lot, yeah, there's lots of spectacle in, in that. But then you watch a show, um, you know, we were talking about quilters. Yes. And that that's just, like, seven hardworking women mm-hmm. just, like, telling their life story through quilts. Yep. And it is fierce. Like, it, it is. is so it's a beautiful fierce. show. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about fostering empathy? Sure. Because I know you've said that a couple of times. Sure. I think that um, we talked about, like, I think at the beginning of the podcast today, you talked about, like, trying to unite people. Yeah. It is, there there are forces (laughs) in the world uh, that are trying to foster divisions uh, between people. And I think there's a lot of things that are responsible for that. There's a sort of protagonist mentality that people have that like they are the star of the movie of their life and uh, every protagonist needs an antagonist Uh, but there's also an echo chamber online and Facebook that says hey all you need to know is you're amazing 
and you're right about everything and everybody else agrees with you. Um, I remember there was a day I logged onto my Facebook and it said something like there were articles on there. And it, one of them was like, redheads uh, are smarter than other people study finds. And I was like, okay, <laughs> crazy. And then there was one where like somebody had liked one of my statuses and was like, I completely agree with you. This is a great thing to say. And I was like, awesome. <laughs> like it was basically all of this stuff that was telling me how awesome I was just for being me. And then there was nothing in my Facebook feed that disagreed with any viewpoint that I had. Mm-hmm. Everything was reiterating it. Yeah. Some of it was trying to whip me up into anger. I could tell like outrageous occurrence happens where this person that disagrees with you did a thing. (gasps) So uh, I realized that there was this effect that was occurring in my life where Facebook was not making me more gracious. Facebook was not making me more empathetic. It was making me less of that. And it was making me believe also that I was a better person than I really am, (laughs) you know, just by the intrinsic fact, oh, well, you know, I am smarter than you because I have the red hair, like, which is ridiculous. Yeah. And that study doesn't exist. And you just see the headline and that's like, but because of that, I think we have fewer opportunities for empathy. I think there's also this sort of hero worship in our culture about being self-sufficient. Like everybody, nobody can depend on anybody for anything. Um, Like women now can be career women and keep an impeccable house and cook all of the meals and do all of these things. And if you fail at that, then you're not a good woman. You're not a good person. So there are these expectations about self-sufficiency and never asking for help. When you never ask for help, one of people's favorite things in the world is when you ask them for help. People love it because it makes them feel like they're an authority on something and it makes them feel smart. It makes them feel valuable. People love being asked for help. Like, they love it. We've taken that out of our culture because you got to be self-sufficient or you're not good at being an American. Mm -hmm. So all of this stuff sort of combines to create this circumstance where we don't have empathy for people who think differently than we do. And right now, it's really hard because with politics, the state of our political world, the way that it is, I think there's people in my family telling me things that they believe that I know they don't (laughs) because they're in this echo chamber. And I'm sure that there's beliefs and things that I have that are firmly entrenched that need light shown on them. I've had a lot of things in this last year where I have had to actively listen to people and say, okay, where, where am I failing at this? And it's hard to do that. Yeah. I didn't want to. Like, I, did, I didn't want to shine a harsh light into how I'm part of these problems. But I did. And it's a continual learning process. I think it's hard to do that. But you know what it's easy to do? Go to the theater. Sit next to somebody in your community. Shut off your cell phone. Have a common experience with a couple hundred other people that live near you, that work near you, that shop at the same place you do, who eat the same food and have the same daily experience that you do. You sit there and you cry together, you laugh together, you enjoy a story together, and then you all go your separate ways. Whether or not you see that experience as something that unifies you to people in your community, whether you acknowledge it or not, it does. And you're also watching the story of someone else. And whether or not that story is like shaking up your beliefs, or if it isn't, you're still experiencing empathy for someone else that's a real person. This doesn't happen when you watch movies. Like when you watch a video of somebody, there's a barrier there. Like um, videos of people falling down often get laughs. 
but watching someone fall down often does not. Yeah, you're right. So there's a barrier there. When you're experiencing it in the theater, there is a magic to live theater that creates a more empathetic person because you have the experience of empathy in real time, seeing someone right there and relating to them as if they were you and going through their journey as a hero, as a villain, the things they do wrong, the obstacles that are in their path. And it's a nice little tight package. It's two hours of empathetic therapy that you go to. And the bonus is you're experiencing it with other people from your community. And it's one of the few sacred spaces where we sit together, we don't talk about our politics, we don't argue, we don't get on our cell phones, and we don't, like, we silence everything and we sit in silence together in, like, reverence of this experience that we're having. Yeah. It doesn't happen anywhere else anymore. Yeah, you're right. And and share, and and have a shared experience. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I mean, I know, um, you know, obviously this is a a, a theater podcast, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's no people like show people is the title of the podcast. <laughs> so but far. It's right. So, big women. <laughs> big women. It's coming. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, that's it's so beautiful to listen to you talk about all of this and oh, because uh, it's so true. It's so relatable. And I know for me, where I feel the most normal, mm-hmm. where I feel the most connected, where I feel the most alive as, as a human being yeah. is either in the rehearsal room, you know, in a rehearsal process or teaching a class or working with kids or directing a show or being in a, you know, performing a show or seeing a show or, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It, it Being in the all, building. Yeah. Even just walking into the theater. <laughs> yeah, it's like today when you walk in here for the first time. Yeah, when I walked in, I was like, this theater is magical. It is so nice to be back in a theater. <laughs> yeah. Right? Even yeah. even to just stand there. Mm-hmm. Even to just be in the space of the theater. Yeah. Well, um, do you have a, a favorite theater story or memory that you, would like, that you would like to share? Oh, there's so many, Sarah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a good one that I could share. Uh, I don't know. There have been so many things that have gone so wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, since it's the Christmas season, since it's the holidays, we've just experienced, it's the new year now. Yes. We've just experienced the holidays. Normally, we would all be coming off of our holiday contracts, right? Right, yeah. Uh, back in 2005, I was in a production of Beauty and the Beast, uh, and I was Mrs. Potts. And anybody that's done Beauty and the Beast... If you've been an enchanted object, you know the fresh hell that is being an enchanted object in Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Beauty and the Beast on Broadway was the first Broadway show to have an on-staff physical therapist. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. That makes total sense. (laughs) Absolutely. Because you'd have people like falling down and getting stuck in the works because the plates didn't have arms and like, you know, standard stuff. Um, so it was down at the Round Barn Theater at Amish Acres, and my teapot was made out of, um, I think it was like a polyurethane foam. Mm-hmm. So they built it, and they glued it together with some kind of polyurethane foam adhesive. This is very industrial. In order for it to hold its shape, it was like a, an inch and a half foam on the inside, and then they glued that around a chicken wire frame. And then they put another polyurethane foam on the outside and then satin on the outside of that. And there was a lot of adhesive, a lot of material. 
and the thing was so heavy, had no zipper. There was no way for me to step into it. There was no way for me to get like lowered into it. Yeah. So they had to fly the costume. <laughs> you know, there's like a, a rail for those of you who have worked at RBT, which is probably a, a percentage of these listeners. Yeah. You know where they used to fly the buggy? Uh-huh. That's where they flew my Mrs. Potts costume. <laughs> so I would have to like hit my mark, stand on the X and put my arms up and they would like the opening on the bottom was the circle about that big. And I know you guys can't see it's like. I don't know. What is that? 24 inches across? Yeah. Yeah. So it was like this on the bottom. So I would have to put my arms up and like think thin and like wiggle. (laughs) (laughs) Wiggle. That's not a very big opening. No. And I mean like my hips were like this. Yeah. The circles like this at the bottom of the teapot. I know you guys can't see my gestures, but just visualize it. You've got it. So I would like wiggle my way into this teapot. Eventually, uh, I would have to like push this cart. And if you've also worked at Amish Acres, you know that Amish craftsmanship is no joke. So they built this tea cart out of like heavy spruce, <laughs> like mahogany. It was so heavy. So I was pushing it with one arm, and they only had like smart casters on one side of it. So if there was any way, like if it would get stuck or it would be like whatever, and I could I could only show it at certain angles for the illusion to work. Because Chip was inside, it looked like there was no, whatever. So, like, I would have to, like, forward and back push it with one arm and my other arms trapped inside the spout. So there were many times that crazy things happened. But my center of gravity in this costume was in such a weird place. And whenever I would walk, my feet would bump the front and the back of the circle. Mm -hmm. So the teapot would do this. So I had to cultivate a way to walk with teeny tiny steps. And I couldn't get out of the costume once the show started. I couldn't sit down. I I couldn't do anything. So we would shimmy a folding stool underneath the circle. I would like pick it up with my foot underneath. They'd like slide it. And then I would take the arm that was inside the spout and I would like unfold the stool (laughs) and then like sit down on it inside the teapot. So then like my face would be here. So I would look like the like teapot plum pudding hat that I had was like, looked like the lid of the tea kettle. And so literally I was sunk down into it and it looked like the tea kettle was just like sitting there. So this was to my disadvantage a number of times because people would think that the costume was empty. Yeah. So several times people would try to push it out of the way. Oh no. Yeah. Oh no. (laughs) But really, you you just wanted to sit down for a minute in the middle of your show. So I went rolling into the men's dressing room once. (laughs) Uh, And uh, like I had no ability to get back up. There was one time when I was, it was uh, that moment, the kill the beast moment Uh where we have to like be enchanted objects and whatever, but it's a set change. And there was no stage crew because RBT. So all of the enchanted objects and Belle had to do the set change. So I was on moving a fountain. So Jenny Sophia unplugs the fountain and she's pushing it. She's got like quick, she's got to be like on the next entrance. She has to be ready to go. So she'd be really fast. Well, there was one day, I think they had oiled the casters or something because it was rolling really easily. And I don't think she realized. And she just did the push that she normally did to go. And then she ran away and the fountain hit me. Oh, no. And I went down. So because I only had one arm and it was on the top, I couldn't get up. Oh, my God. I had nothing. (laughs) The only person who could see me was Jason Wicker, who was playing the beast. He was preset so that when they turned the tower around, he could be there. And he was like, are you okay? I was like, (laughs) So he jumps down, like, as the beast in the cape jumps off the tower. (laughs) To 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 rescue rescue you. I'm like, I can't get up. I'm in a teapot. 
teapot. <laughs> so he grabs my arm, but because I couldn't like leverage anything and the thing was so heavy, when he would pull my arm, it just made me spin like a top. Mm-hmm. So it was like on one side of it. So eventually he got his like beast arms and hands like <laughs> under my neck and like shimmied me up. We moved the rest of the fountain off and I got into my position for the seed and I was like shaking, like breathing, shaking, couldn't get it. And then he has to do like, let them come, that scene. <laughs> and he was like, nothing matters anymore. <laughs> like just breathing crazy heavy because he had just like lifted 700 pounds of teapot. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that show, that show was uh, interesting. I was very excited the last time that teapot was like lifted off of me because you were my, like, never again. I was like right arm super buff. Yeah. <laughs> Left arm just like atrophied. <laughs> this is terrible. But yeah, yeah, oh, never man. again Beauty and the Beast. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast is a hard show. It's, oh, it's, it's a really, so... really, ch- I've done it twice now in my life twice oh, it's spectacular a, beautiful a, yeah great show but like really difficult show yes to, to do physically insane yeah and it doesn't even matter like who you are in the show no like, it's just even, hard like bell carries that show she's in almost every single scene of yeah. that show and like you think she's got it easy because she's a human <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't <laughs> no haha <laughs> in and out of corsets yeah. like no way yeah. No way. No way. Oh, there was another time it was. I know Jeremy tells this story a lot about picking props up. Uh, Jeremy Littlejohn was Cogsworth. Sam Brown was Lumiere. There's a scene where the wolves have attacked mm-hmm. the beast and Bell drags him back, whatever. He's got wounds on his arm and she's going to clean them. So it was yeah. our job to be there. And Sam was holding a bowl and... Uh, Jeremy was supposed to have a rag over his arm and I was supposed to pour water into the bowl out of my spout. Those are the three actions we're supposed to do. So the curtain opened a little bit too energetically and the rag that was on Jeremy's arm flew off of his arm. (laughs) Lumiere has candles for hands. (laughs) And there's like a rag on the floor. All three of us want to pick it up. He's got candles for hands. So he's like... Um, can't. And I have one arm, and it's the handle, and I can't bend over. So I'm like, and Jeremy, who has hands as Cogsworth, is in like a wooden clock clock costume. So he's like, (laughs) so we just looked at each other. We were like, Like, uh, uh." you're like, tale is old as time. (laughs) Here we are. You know, it's it's sort of that age-old question, how many magical creatures does it take to try to pick up a a dish towel off the floor? At least four. At least four. And hopefully somebody has hands and a a movable costume. I think hopefully someone has hands is a good t-shirt for Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) That's really funny. Link in bio. <laughs> Get the t-shirt we here. We have a new t-shirt line coming out. Website. <laughs> Website, yeah. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, I just have to say, you are one of the people, like, I've always looked up to you so much. Oh, that's really kind. And, no, truly, you. I mean, you've been such an inspiration and such a wonderful friend and, and such a great leader and someone um, who works so hard and is so multi-talented and I mean truly like I know like if I picked up Amber Burgess and and put you into like literally any theater in the country you would know how to do like 10 different things (laughs) 
I'd be like, oh yeah, she'll be great. She she'll be like, you know, fixing the the grand curtain. She'll be sewing the costume. She'll be directing the show. She'll be teaching the children. She'll she'll be uh, playing the violin and the piano like while doing it all. <laughs> oh my gosh! Don't oversell it. <laughs> oh my god! No, but like true, like you just know how to do so much, and so um, and that's always been really, and you have really not only survived because sometimes you just, I, I mean, now the, the mm-hmm. current world, yeah, you know, I just feel like a lot of artists just feel like we're just surviving, like we're just trying to, we're just trying to get through this pandemic, yeah. you know, and until we are able to do what we love mm-hmm. like, and what makes us feel the most passionate and alive but not only have you survived for this long but but you're really thriving and and you are now because of your position here you are helping other artists thrive as yeah. well and I think that that is something that the world needs more of oh thank you and like because we have like theater people who are listening to this podcast like frankly honestly I am here to support artists right now. So if you guys do have a project or if there's something that you're passionate about, we have a lot of freedom here to do different projects and supporting artists and being a community arts hub in Goshen is my mission. That is literally what I do. So if there is something that is a project that you have been looking for the space to do, if there has been a little dizzy daydream in the back of your mind, like, oh, if I had the place to do it, I would want to do my one man show or whatever. I have actually, that's really funny that you say that because on my, I've got a list of a bunch of like random thoughts and notes on my phone. Yeah. And one of them is my one woman show. Yeah. And so I thought maybe I will debut my one woman show here. We've got three different venues to do it in. And like we try, I try to meet my artists halfway. Like I want to make sure that there is a commitment on their part, that they're serious about what they want to do. So there is discussion on that side, but we also try to make the startup cost side of it as small as possible so that there is not a cost prohibitive basis for artists or children or students or people who want to learn. That is not what we're about. Like we have a great deal of community support, but the dream, the dream is that we would be able to support artists and really, really make a difference in the world of theater and the world of the arts by making well-informed kids who are involved in the arts and also by helping uh, artists and helping the arts, you know? Like, yeah, send me your ideas. Amber at GoshenTheater.org. Like, let me know what you I, want. I was just going to say, how can people find you? I'm sure yeah. there is a, is it Goshen Theater? Is that the website? Yes, and uh, they decided a final decision on the name before I got here. So it's Theater with an E-R. Okay, okay. So. <laughs> so Goshen Theater. <laughs> T H E E A T E R. What? I know. <laughs> <laughs> dot org. Dot org. Yep. And then your if if they can email you. Yep, that's Amber at GoshenTheater.org. So email me. Uh, our office number five seven four three one two three seven zero one. You got a direct line. Look, you got yeah. Hey friends, you got you got <laughs> a direct line to bit to like three different spaces yeah three different venues yeah three different venues theatrical opportunities rehearsal space dance studio yeah even if you just needed a place if you're in indiana and you just need a place to rehearse something with mirrors like let me know i'm right here uh you can also go to goshentheater.com or goshentheater.org again theater uh and there's like 
information on our rentals and all of that is there. Uh, obviously, we have deep discounts for nonprofits. We have deep discounts for individual artists and for local groups. So don't let the rec rates terrify you. <laughs> call me, call me, call me. Yeah, um, she she it just gave you her phone number. <laughs> yes, yes, call yeah, me. All right, throw it out there one more time. Uh, 574-312-3701 is the Goshen Theater office number. Ask for me. Likely I will be the one who has answered the phone because I do everything here. Because <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Amber Burgess is her own one-woman show. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for oh, taking course. the time to chat with me and share some pearls of wisdom <laughs> with our listeners. Um, I think the world of you, and oh. I love you so much. I love you too. This has been awesome. A true joy and a delight. <laughs>